when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Game of Thrones. The Walking Dead. Westworld. No, that's the West Wing. West, Westworld. There we go. There have been many podcasts which seek to analyse the complexities, the depth, the plot lines, the hidden story arcs, the beauty of these productions. Quite simply, the world doesn't need another one, which is why we're applying that level of discussion to the bottom of the televisual barrel and scraping it with a weekly celebration of The One Show. So hello and welcome to the world's only podcast that analyses in depth a TV show that no one watches or gives a toss about. It's the The One Show show, which uniquely, on a crowded pitch of TV show discussion podcast spin-offs, seeks to examine and scrutinise a programme that literally doesn't warrant anything like this level of scrutiny. Once again, we look on ye works of the mighty One Show and despair. I am John Holmes, and yes, while you've been busy watching Love Island and, uh, well, revelling in their podcast where they chew over which vacuous contestant is popping a penis into whose equally vacuous vagina, we go baby farming with Chris Akabusi, some children are threatened with splinters, and Elaine Page fingers Kiefer Sutherland on live television. And I'm not even joking. Clearly, this week, the one show was after a piece of Love Island's action. Joining me to sort out the chaff from the other chaff are the The One Show show regular and all-round Mark Haynes, Mark Haynes. And this is quite amazing. Award-winning journalist, novelist, broadcaster, food critic, master chef, judge, and crucially, former actual One Show presenter, Jay Rayner on the programme today. Jay Rayner. The scant, the scant applause. Yes. which It brings it all back. <laughs> it brings it all back. Well, Jay, we should, should work out how this happened. So a few weeks ago, yeah. we talked about a, a, a one-show film. Bog butter. Thank you. Where you had to go and plant some butter in a bog. It took a year to make that film. <laughs> it took a year and we almost killed a man. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much the story of, of The Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I got this call from BBC Northern Ireland. They wanted to make a film about butter being buried in a bog. I hadn't had a call for quite a while. And I thought, OK, I'll, I'll do this one. They said, the thing is, we're going to bury it, and then we're going to make the second half a year later. And at that point, I hadn't quite reconciled myself to the fact that I totally didn't want to be involved in the programme at all anymore. <laughs> so I thought, well, I could if I do this, then I can say I'm still part of the one show for another whole year without doing anything. That's a good... And so we went up there, and one of the contributors was this old bloke. Um, I can't remember his name now, but he was 18. Nine. Yeah. Um, Had he not been real, he would have been a really offensive racial stereotype. Oh, you, you don't know the. I mean, really, he was. I mean, couldn't understand a word he said. But he gave us these um, shovels. Yeah. To to use, which were his, and we broke all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then. By the time we came back, I thought he wouldn't actually be alive for the second half. But he was. Also um, buried in the bog. But, but his next family, to his beloved preserved. His family had said that he couldn't come up to the bog with us because it almost killed him last night, so he had to go up there alone. And um, and that was the last one I made. And yeah. you, you took it apart. We right? took it apart. And, and so, well, then what happened was uh, a listener to this podcast batted you in on a tweet about it. You then sent me a message saying, um, could you follow me so I can DM you? And I thought, oh, shit. What did we say about Jay Rayner? That he's got, oh, this isn't going to go well. Well, and yeah. then I thought, well, we didn't, we didn't say it. I don't think. I, I think don't we talked think. about how irresponsible the British public are. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, they could, known the location. If they know where it was, they would have yeah. gone and dug it up. They, yeah. they, you know, they'd have been lucky because Christ trying to dig the damn thing up. They were meant to have geotagged it, right. and the, they hadn't. It was just. <laughs> everybody thinks there's this great establishment for the one show. There isn't. It's a bloke. With a phone. Well, that's, I mean, that's the shovel. fascinating thing. I mean, how long were you there? I was, um, I, I made my first film for the one show, August 2009, and that was the last one. Uh, the peak year was 2011, where I made 48 VTs for them. 48? 48, and I was on the sofa about 55 times. Wow. And I was live every Friday night. Yeah. And so, I mean, the thing I've got to say, and I, I, just so that I can point to this part of the podcast when the BBC calls me, <laughs> is many great things happened. I learnt yeah. a lot. Yeah. We made some great films. They do make some good they stuff. Do, as we've celebrated They, they make some very good stuff. There are some very talented people working on it, and I wish them well with their future careers. <laughs> but it was also bonkers and insane, and uh, I would say... You can't stick it that long. No. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's hard enough to watch, let alone to make. Yeah. So So you actually saw changes as well in The the Host. When did you start? Was that the Charles Blakely Uh, era? Yes, it was. Charles, uh, yeah, uh, Christine Christine Adrian, who were a brilliant double act, because Adrian Charles gave this impression of neither being that interested in what was going on, but sort of there anyway. Yeah. It was like, well, I've got nowhere else to be at seven (laughs) o'clock, so I might as well be here. And and it was the right tone, whereas Matt is, is... keen to be there and that's what's slightly startling isn't it he wasn't keen we should jump straight on Wednesday's edition Mm. Matt Baker wasn't pleased to be there at the point where Anne Robinson started having a go about oh, the gender pay, pay gap, gender yeah. pay gap, and yeah. he started. He started giving his CV. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, it, it was he bristled. He visibly bristled. It was brilliant. And actually, what happened there is Alex jumped to Matt's defence in really a, a time when she shouldn't have. Matt said, "Oh, I, I do more jobs than just this one. I do, I do two or three. <laughs> and <laughs> Alex started sort of like a sort of battered wife, began sort of going, "No, he does. He does. You know, we we, we get the same for this. We get the same for this." Yeah. But Matt looked absolutely. He, he looked, was horrified, wasn't he? He, he yeah. was horrified, but he also looked as if he wanted to run away. No one talks money. I bet you don't know what he earns and you don't know what she earns. Mm. Well, I... Oh, they're getting <laughs> slow. <laughs> oh, no, well, we, we do. do. Well, it's all yeah, over the do. newspapers, so we do. Yeah. We, do. Yeah. we do, yeah. Really? And does she earn more than you or do you earn more than her? <laughs> well, I do three jobs. I do the one-show country farm and sports, so it's, it's different. No, very different, but here, the same. 
But the thing is, yeah. 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 and what you see in the documentary, <laughs> it's interesting because you... he just wanted to. Run. Well, it got it got worse after that. I mean, we, you know, handbrake turn of the week is coming up, but yeah. th- this has to be a candidate at the point when they were talking about you know shared shared jobs in the home, and Caroline Quentin finally turns to him and says, "You just haven't got a handle on this, have you? <laughs> you haven't got a clue what's going on here." And he barks the immortal lie which every presenter of the one show has wanted to say over the years, which was, "Please put on a film. Please put on a film now." <laughs> Curtain <laughs> was pulled away. There was a desperate paddling. A, a beautiful bit where Anne Robinson, who, who I don't think came in with it with a sense, she, I think she's just done a documentary yeah. about uh, the way that people perceive gender. So there was a brilliant clip from this documentary where she basically she went to a primary school and then yelled at children for being sexist, which was magic. <laughs> uh, she asked them to draw a mechanic. They all drew a mechanic, and most of them drew a man <coughs> mechanic. And then they introduced yeah. a, a female mechanic. And Anne Robinson sat there, essentially sort of going, "You little dickheads! You know how how dare you!" But having come back off that, Anne was obviously on this this gender thing and the way we accept that men earn more and we shouldn't. And someone like The One Show, they always want to be the conversation the nation is having. And yet when it comes to the conversations the nation are having, they don't want to have that conversation. Matt also very kind of bitterly mentioned that he did know how much Alex... Uh, was paid and Alex knew how much he was paid because as he said it was in all the papers <laughs> <laughs> they split on us <laughs> uh, but she wouldn't let it drop would she Anne she was sort of oh they're trying to slide away from it they're trying to do all this you know, the dangers the signs were there she's done a documentary about it you two have been in the papers because of this entire argument yeah. what do you think is about to happen did, on live did, television did they never think that this was going to come up did they never think a guest was going to bring up the pay disparity biggest uh, particularly sort of if the show. guest was actually ma- just made a documentary <laughs> about gender stereotypes. <laughs> what was fantastic is that Matt dropped out of that interview after that. He didn't mm. want anything to do with it. Yeah. Just absolutely sat back and did not earn his larger salary. There was another bit where she said to him, it was the it was before this as well. She actually went in at Matt for no reason where she said and I was shocked to find that these things happen in the workplace in this post-Weinstein world where, you know, men behave very badly in the workplace, don't they, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just he visibly flinched and had to go, Anne, what? No! What? No, I'm fine. No, I'm, I'm Matt Baker. I'm nice. Fascinating. You did it with mums as well, didn't you? We did it, and, and it's no yeah. different from 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole point of this doc was that we were celebrating 100 years of suffragettes. Yes. And <clears throat> then the Harvey Weinstein scandal mm. happened. And I was genuinely shocked and in despair. I know men behave badly, Matt, but I thought Matt. that when I... <laughs> no, I'm just saying generally, I um. thought we'd passed on the bat from my generation. There very few of us... Um, it's worth saying as well, this show opened with In the Mood, which, <laughs> which that sounds like an ironic trolling by the staff because who's ever in the mood for this? <laughs> and that was, of course, the, uh, the Tommy Steele connection. So we should... Yeah. We should mention he was it. the guest from hell. Oh, well, it, it, a, a kind of heaven for me. I mean, it was utterly, utterly perfect watching the car crash that happened because he had anecdotes and he was going to fucking tell them (laughs) and it didn't matter how long they were. The one that I loved the most was the the one that took the extraordinarily dark turn (laughs) about the ship being cut in half while he's being interfered with by his senior officer. And then he realised that the man on the, on the mattress was dead. It was like it was oh like a really bleak episode of Jack and Ori that just appeared in the middle of a show. Um, what we'll do is, because it's so hard to explain what it's like, yeah. the easiest thing is to dedicate the next 25 minutes to everybody just hearing that story told by Tommy Steele. Yeah. I was in the Navy, the Merchant Navy, and I'm on a ship, a Cunard ship, called the Sidia. 
and as I say, I'm 15, I'm on the ship. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're in the middle of what was called ice routine. And ice routine when you're in the Atlantic, in the middle of winter, means there's icebergs. The same time as the Titanic. So you're on ice routine, so everybody of the crew are on their toes. Yeah. I'm sitting in my cabin. Suddenly, the ship goes... <laughs> I went, what the... What's that? <laughs> An officer comes down, he went, you, follow me. Yes, sir. And I'm following this little... I'm only four foot eleven, I'm following this officer through the decks, up on the decks, past all the passengers with their... Um, I've the, Yeah. He said, don't run. Walk purposefully. I don't right. know what he was talking about. So I'm trying to keep up with this great big officer. They go down to the front of the ship, the forecastle, and he said, well, OK, there's the bosun there, up on the shoulders. I'll get up. Up, up here, got some. All right, you're right there, you're right, OK. All right, all right, bridge. Oh, lights. And all the lights hit the water. And I'm sitting on the bosun's shoulders. Now then, he says, anyone in the water... You point them out. You understand? Anyone in the water, you point them out. Yes, bosun. Starboard, two points to starboard. Two points. There's a ship coming. There's a ship coming. There's a ship coming. Everyone's running around. All of a sudden, he pinched my bum so hard. And he said, that's not a ship, you silly little sod. It's an iceberg. (gasps) (laughs) So I said, well, it's an iceberg. Coming close. No, 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 he said, don't know about that on the bridge. You just keep looking at the water. And these searchlights are going over the water. The iceberg is still there. And suddenly I see these two bodies. And what had happened is we'd cut another ship in half. (gasps) It was a collier called the Wabana, a Canadian collier. And there was one half going where the iceberg is and another half here. And there was a fella in the water laying on a mattress reading a book. <laughs> Fella on the port side, reading a book. Another pinch up the bum. Don't be so beaten silly. So I said, no, it's a fella reading a book. And we looked down and he was. Dead as a dodo. Oh, dear. But reading oh, a book, no. laying on his bunk. The shock had been so bad yeah. that he just died. Just like that. Well, I thought it was going to be a happy story. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the skipper on the bridge going... What ship are you? What ship are you? Into the fog, you know. Yeah. And I said, the fellow can't tell you, he's dead. You know. Oh, dear. That was beautiful. Uh, this, this was a but, terrible episode for them, because, again, with that thing about sex, the, the people don't really like talking on the one show about sex, and they don't like talking about things like death. It's a very BBC idea that there'll be someone out there who's getting upset by the things you're saying. So things like death are just uh, absolutely... It also them. has to be said, and there, there is an issue connected with it in this one, the, the one show's audience is so large. I mean, they may not be very, very engaged. They may just be proven they've got a pulse or whatever, but there is always someone out there to complain, and they always will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a thing on the... Can I jump to the Titanic story? Oh, please yeah, do. Yeah, I do. Right, so this brought back little flashbacks for me because years ago I did a film about the Last Supper on the Titanic and coming out of it on the sofa afterwards, Alex Jones said to me, why, why was feasting such a big thing? And I said, well, you've got to understand there wasn't a lot to do on the Titanic apart from eat and then later drown. <laughs> <laughs> to give her a due. Alex replied, well, after eating all that, I'm not surprised I couldn't swim. And <laughs> so I, I then go in the next Friday to do my live slot. 
And the editor of the programme comes up to me, he says, uh, 59 complaints. <laughs> there are 59 <laughs> complaints. And he says, oh, now you've got a choice. I can't make you apologise on air, but it'd be better if you did, because if you don't, they're going to have to open an official investigation. So me and Alex Jones had to apologise live on air to the nation for taking the piss out of people drowning on a ship that sank over 100 <laughs> years ago. She had some zingers this week. There was one bit she really laughed at a reference to Kez. And I well, thought, that's a barrel of laughs, that film. I thought, what's she laughing at, though? I can't imagine Alex is a big fan of Kez. What I was the context? Um, Lee Mack was talking about Soccer Aid. Right. And he showed a picture of himself when he was a young schoolboy playing football. And it came up on the screen and he said, it looks like a cut scene from Kez. And Alex cackled. Yeah, the very... That's a good haircut. That looks like a, a screenshot from Kez, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is 1970s northern school football for you. Yeah, all right. Now, Alex really laughed at the bit about Kez. And she was still laughing when she had to go into the next link. So she doubled up about Kez. They were laughing, laughing, laughing. And Alex came back with, <laughs> now, House of Fraser has become the latest big chain <laughs> to announce its closing branches. A handbrake turn within a sentence. Magical stuff. It's, that's what they do well. It is. Did you, I mean, did you spot a particular one, a handbrake turn, Jay? Or? Well, there was one, I think we were coming off the back of the, uh, the baby fostering story right at the top of Wednesday. That's right, yeah. yeah. Which I have to say is my, my film where I learned something, but it went on and it went on. I'm losing the will to live because they did the film and then they did the entire subject all over again straight afterwards. But straight off the back of that, there was some incredibly obtuse link about lightning not striking uh, three times. I, yes. I wrote it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all wrote that down. <laughs> uh, and, except that it hadn't struck three times because one of them, the boat didn't sink. I mean, the use of lightning makes you think it's going to be something about lightning. Lightning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, people what, don't yeah. say lightning strikes twice, but sometimes it can strike three times, except it's not lightning, <laughs> yeah. and it didn't strike, and it's a boat. Well, they do say, don't they, that lightning never strikes twice, but it struck three times for one remarkable Irish nurse over a years ago. Well, was she really unlucky or really, really lucky? We'll let you decide. Here's Joe Lindsay. When it comes to building ships, we in Belfast know a thing or two. However, when it comes to stricken ships, we know a thing or three. And this is a piece about uh, Miss Unsinkable, uh, Violet Jessup, That's who right. was a, uh, a nurse and steward who was on three ships that sank, except one of them didn't sink. The Olympic, which hit another ship but didn't sink and got back to port safely, she was on the Titanic and she was on the Britannic, which in 1916 had hit a mine. And they managed to talk to her 89-year-old niece, who had few memories of her. It was one of those stories that you got the impression someone went, this is a great documentary, and as they'd looked into it, they'd gone, there's not very much material that we the, I think the, the classic line was when the niece said, she didn't seem very traumatised. In other words... <laughs> Nothing really happened. <laughs> and, it, and it was left with the final payoff line of that film was, in the end, even the unsinkable nurse couldn't cheat death. Because, I mean, because who can? Because she'd be 140 years old. <laughs> there was actually a little codicil to that line, which I thought made it hilarious, where the chap who did it, who's a Northern Irish chap, I think, yeah, Irish yeah. chap, he looks like a Satanist, and it took place in a graveyard as well, which I imagine yeah. had nothing to do with the, the story. It's just he goes, I, I would like to do my last link in a graveyard, <laughs> as usual. And he said, in the end, not even the unsinkable nurse could cheat death. But she gave it a good go, didn't she? <laughs> she gave it a good go. That's the big sum up. <laughs> Viola Constance Jessup died of heart failure in 1971, aged 83. In the end, 
Not even the unsinkable nurse could cheat death. But here, she gave it a good go, didn't she? That's, of course, what led into the Tommy Steele thing. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. but again, the, the look behind the scenes was... And I don't know whether what Matt was doing here. But, but the thing was, he seemed to cue the story. He yeah. said, you've got a story. Exactly. And it was, but it was one of those things where you know what's happened behind the scenes. So someone's gone, all right, as they always do, it's going, we're doing a film on this, so the researcher needs to go into the dressing room of the guests and say, have you got anything on shipwrecks or whatever it might be yeah and it so happened that Tommy still had but but Matt went into it saying again came out of the film and he just went now and rather than just subtly get there as a sort of story he genuinely went now you've got a Tommy Steele's got um and he forgot the word okay he forgot the, <laughs> oh, word. Forgot the word anecdote yeah he was like, he was like <laughs> you've got um, one of those stories where you tell a thing and I'm going is he doing this deliberately <laughs> and then Alex had to jump in with the word anecdote he went yes You've got an anecdote. You've got an and tell us your anecdote that a researcher has teased out. Of and that's when he went into this rambling story about death. And Matt was horrified, Absolutely. and he kept jumping in, just go, "Well, I expected this to have a happy ending." And then, no, it just it got gets worse darker and worse. And darker. Even better than that, it oh. got to the end of the story, and then Matt gave Tommy a chink of light, and Tommy restarted the story, <laughs> and it ended the same way. It was an amazing double thing of this story that had gone really badly. Um, worth saying when I first started working in television which was about 1998 um, I was working with a load of people who'd worked in, in radio and theatre for very many years and one of them said there's a piece of advice that was given to me at the start of my career he said and it's the most important piece of advice that you can ever know about showbiz and entertainment and I said what's that piece of advice he said Tommy Steele's a cunt <laughs> <laughs> everything I know about Tommy Steele is that he's notoriously tricky to work with yeah. there's lots of sort of funny things so I had a quick look and there's lots of obviously uh, you can find this with anyone famous lots of message boards where people go I met Tommy Steele and he was horrible to me yeah. so I'm letting that go but one thing I did find out and this is not something that I learnt from the one show but I learnt because of the one show Tommy Steele is briefly mentioned in Ian Fleming's novel Thunderball so Tommy Steele is part of the James Bond universe. What? Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I believe Wait. Bond goes into a casino and he goes, I mean, oh, that cunt? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Tommy Steele. I mean, there was Remington was Steele. Is that, is that connected? <laughs> it just shows what happens if you don't die. <laughs> yeah. If, if, you're, if you live long enough and have a career over 65 years, which... The, st- the story, that famous theatrical story about him singing in the rain yeah. is that, you know, because when I, I used to work in theatre, I used to do sound and lighting in theatre before all of this nonsense, and it was legend back then that Tommy Steele in Singing in the Rain in the West End, um, because he was such a cunt to everybody, every day before the show, the whole crew would go and piss in the rain tank above the stage. So the rain tank, you know, the theatrical rain tank that would rain down on the stage through pipes and he had to dance in it. He wasn't dancing in rain. He was dancing in roadies piss <laughs> every day. Another story that would make Matt and Alex stiffen as it was being told. Oh, God. <laughs> One last thing. They just showed a little clip of Tommy Steele's wedding and it was taken by Pathé. And if yeah. Pathé are doing your wedding video, you are old. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked about it as well was the fact that Caroline Quinton, who we haven't mentioned yet, yeah. was at the other end of the sofa. Caroline what? Quinton. This. was a Greek chorus. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. She, she was the rest of the audience. I mean, it started off obviously with Tommy Steele deciding to interview her about the thing that she went to talk about later, and you could see on her face, oh, "No, no, you're going to blow it." I mean, <laughs> I'm only here so I can talk about this show, and now you're. And her face all the way through was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by, by the my end, agent. by the end, she had narrowed eyes of just pure she hatred really, could to see, Tommy Steele. She started off. She didn't say anything for the first four minutes. Four no. minutes fifty-two or something like that. I, yeah, I, it was I one of those. 
those crop shots yeah. where you can just see her knee. Yeah, she just didn't want in on it. <laughs> then she got pulled in. And then, but the, her reactions to, firstly, Tommy Steele's anecdote was just one, well, she was pissing herself by the end of, when she knew it had all gone wrong. Yeah. And, and again, uh, Matt tried to get it back and, and then he said, no, because this Taylor was dead and, and Matt just went, Oh dear. <laughs> the crew all laughed. And then you could see it, she was literally shaking with laughter. But when Tommy started that anecdote, back to Tommy Steele, I know, but when he started that anecdote, he did an impression of a ship hitting an iceberg. Yes. Right? And he did it so violently, but and I thought he was having a fit. He was just going, <laughs> rocking on the sofa, which was moving back and forth. And he not, nearly knocked her drink out of her hand. She had a glass of water and she had to catch it. And it was sort of just, it was on camera, but at the side. And it was just a magical moment of live television going, really badly wrong there's such a funny thing about the presenters not saying alright Tommy calm down and what happened is it came out a little bit later so there was just a bit where they wrapped up the, the end and Matt said well Caroline's going to be doing me and my girl in Chichester so make sure you put that in your diary or in your family album and Alex <laughs> turned to him and went Matthew well you can see Caroline in me and my girl from the 2nd of July at the Festival Theatre in Chichester, Chichester. there, there it you is, are Tommy. put it in the diary and the family album. Anyway, very strong Anne seems to be the only one on the sofa tonight who hasn't got a musical in the work. And it was like she was reacting like he'd got his dick out or something. <laughs> she was furious. And this is just pent up Tommy Steele aggression coming out of going. If you, you spend know, enough time with them on the sofa, things are going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> things are going to happen. How do they? How do they approach you when when you have a like a section? Because we, we obviously go into a lot of. We had the, the Nigerian baby farmers here. Yes. And we had the unsinkable Violet Jessup. How is it done? Is it a sort of central thing where people are saying, this right. is what I've got, and then so, so let's the, give the it to The thing Jay. that I, I don't... I mean, I, not to be biased about it, but the, the one show isn't actually about the studio. It's about the thousand VTs they put out a year. And those are farmed out. They have a different editor for the VTs than they do for the actual show. Um, and they're farmed out all over the country, and then there's somebody sticking bits of paper up on walls and taking some down and taking them there and looking at them. And then they generally like to have a chat off the back. And it used to be that they'd get the contributor. You'd always be on the sofa afterwards. Yeah. This one, the, the, the baby farm, which was the thing I learned this week about West African families putting their kids up for fostering so they could get on with their work. I didn't know anything about that. It was a great film. Yeah. yeah. And then they made the category error of repeating the entire content yeah. just at double the length of time. Yeah, because yeah. it was the hour-long show and they've got more time. It's, they don't squash more stuff in. They just elongate everything out. Well, they used to. to. The and, that, and that's what's really weird. There was half an hour of material in that show, and it used to be that you'd do six VTs in the mm. hour long, and I think it was only four, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and one of those was on Chaz and Dave, God help us. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, that's how it works. So it, it would be material, what can we do after, and, you know. Do you get chance to pitch, though? Were you able to go in and say, right, I'd like to do a film on this? Or did I did occasionally, you? sometimes. Okay. I and mean, sometimes, you know, I did four minutes on the modernist movement on food. And the Isaacan building and how the modernists in the 1920s wanted to create a new... I mean, it was bizarre. <laughs> and I did that on primetime television. You think, that's, that's weird. And every now and then, you know, Giles Brandreth would do the life of Oscar Wilde in four and a half minutes. Rethian, Rethian the extreme. And then you'd get something like, oh, God, the, uh, there was one about the changing face of bar snacks and how the editor in charge insisted we did it in a pub that sold wasabi peas. And if he didn't sell wasabi peas, we couldn't shoot in it. <laughs> he got obsessed that wasabi peas were the representative of, you know, of, of the future of the bar right. It was shit. I mean, it was, it, I was there thinking, what, what the fuck am I? Why? <laughs> Rule of three. 
a podcast presented by me, Joel Morris. And me, Jason Hazley. In which we talk to people who make comedy. About the films, and TV, and books, and records, and comics, and people that make them laugh. She doesn't want people having a go at Martin, <laughs> even though she can. And that's true. I mean, most of my friends are idiots, but they're my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I never really understood what Hans Solo did for a job. <laughs> you don't need to know anything up more than, like, he's just sobbing while <laughs> being punched in the balls. They were just trying to make each other laugh in the office. You have to show a certain amount of contempt for your audience. <laughs> <laughs> Write your own jokes, good morning, you lazy bastards. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Rule of Three Pod. Rule of Three. Available now from all good podcastiers. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello, my name is Pete Ellison. This is Dave Cribb. Hello, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends, as you might have guessed from the music that's playing underneath, uh, which is a sort of lo-fi rendition of the Friends theme tune for rights reasons. We get a different guest on every week on our podcast to talk about their favourite episode of Friends. And we look through it in excruciating detail. We pick through levels of plots like no one has ever done before. So if you like Friends or just listening to people talking, which are both valid activities, do look us up on the old podcast app and that friends with friends and we're on twitter at friends wf what's what the strangest I... one that you did what's what's the one that sticks out as going i would not have imagined i'd ever have done that one the the very weirdest thing actually i think the icecon building the modernist one was pretty weird there were other moments like i did one on um quorn I hated myself for this because I hate meat substitutes, but I had to do it. And uh, and then we had this taste test. And we went to go and see these farmers and, and they booked us into this gloomy pub somewhere in Yorkshire with these three farmers. And one of them had a hook instead, <laughs> had a, a, instead of a normal modern prostitute. He still had a hook. Wow. So I thought I'd better engage him in conversation about the hook. 
Because, you know, I mean, the real problem with shooting these things is what I call geisha. If it was just turn up, interview them and fuck off, it would be fine. But it's not. You've got to be nice to them because it's their first interaction with TV and yeah. you want it to be a good experience. And so this guy had this hook and um, he was a bit nervous. And I heard my, we started, you know, started rolling as I'm interviewing them what they think of me. Substitutes, and I can do this. <laughs> and I look down and I look up and I say, do you mind not dragging your fork across your hook? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and then they got the whole footage back and decided it was far too gloomy and um and we reshot it at westfield uh, <laughs> uh, you know doing it once was bad enough there was uh christmas recipes fantasy football league which was lots of celebrity chefs recipes being cooked off against each other and this is kind of a symbol of how how young some of the producers on this show are because when this so it would all be you know uh rick stein goes into the next round against gordon ramsay and when the script came through when the script came through it included the immortal line and so nigella lawson beats off the hairy bikers <laughs> so there's a, there's a coda to this so i um i was I, you know i said we can't say this the producer said well, why, why not i said because and he went oh yeah all right but i was quite pleased that i found this and i was due to be in the studio on the sofa and ricky gervais was the was the guest and so i thought i'd make friends with ricky by telling him this hilarious thing that i found and he went oh that's great is it still in the film i said no it's been it's been taken out he said then i'm gonna do it i'll do it on the sofa i'll do it on the sofa instead i said i'm thinking shit no no i'm gonna get into trouble (laughs) so the only way around this is if i do it if I find some way. So Alex Jones then, you know, we're live. And um, she says, so Jay, why do you think Nigella did so well? And I said, well, I think the reason that Nigella Lawson beat off the hairy bike is... <laughs> and I can feel a body vibrating next to me. And it, Ricky kind of shaking like this. At which point Alex reaches across and slaps him. <laughs> and, he, uh, and he goes, what, what do you expect me to do? He just said that Nigella Lawson beat off the hairy... Anyway... <laughs> It went on. I've noticed Alex does quite a lot of hitting at the minute. Yeah, yeah she's quite a hitty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she's, it, she, it all gets a bit tense. Yeah, yeah she, but she was very good at shutting things down and trying gamely to move things on. I mean, it's always it always seems to fall to her to just try and do that. I mean, often in the face of I mean, hopelessness uh, yes. in, in, in many ways. We, we talked about learning stuff. I learned that Alistair Campbell has never emptied a dishwasher. That was a good one. That was Lovely. a revelation. Lovely. Oh, I noticed yeah. that I learned something similar, which is Matt Baker has never shopped online. He just says, I've, I've never done it. I never have. Never have. And they said, so do you go out just to shops and things? And he went, no. If I want something, I just said to my wife, can you order it online? And he was really pleased with this. And it all went a bit quiet. And again, he couldn't quite work out why everyone was being a bit cold with him. <laughs> Paid more than his female co-host. A wife who has to order him things online. Very strange. But that's what I learned. He's never, ever bought anything online. Other episodes this week. We should. I want to just talk mm. about the Kiefer Sutherland one. So this was yeah. a classic one show where a Hollywood superstar who has no knowledge of the one show... Or oh, they're the best. Like, they are the best. You're absolutely right. Kiefer Sutherland was the latest. He came on, didn't... But he clearly, they'd been told and briefed by his people they were not to mention his television and film work. That was not no, what he was there to talk no, well, about. Well, what was it he was talking about? music. Oh, he has, He's on tour with his band. They made a big thing of saying this is Kiefer's debut. And the reason it's his debut is he is having to try and promote something which is not promoting itself. Yeah. And that is his music career. 24 is always fine. The movies yeah. are fine. And this was, I think, the most boring show I've ever watched. I thought it was so dull. It was made worse by the VTs. I think there was a decision that they said, we've got Kiefer Sutherland, big Hollywood star. Let's let it run. Yeah, and we can also put in VTs that aren't necessarily as exciting because Kiefer will do a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Kiefer did no heavy lifting at no, all. No, he's not, he's not full of personality. There is some, actually, a quick point. They commission all these films and they have to actually be awful not to get on the air. 
to, ca- to, to kill a film because of the cost, they ha- it really has to have something actively wrong with it. So there are a bunch of films that are always... Which, uh, you'd watch them bounce along the schedule, and you'd know they'd eventually go out. Yeah, yeah Jay, on, on Monday, they did, for the first time, learner drivers will be allowed to oh, go on the practice motorway, yeah. on the motorway. Yeah. So we followed a learner driver going on the motorway for the first time. But the f- they wanted it to be the first learner driver in the country to do it, so yeah. they filmed it at midnight as the law came into effect. Yeah. In the, the pitch dark. Uh, the presenter said to him, any nerves? And the guy said, no, not really. <laughs> and he became the first learner driver to have an official lesson on the motorway. And the presenter at the end said, oh, I thought that was excellent. <laughs> treated it like, a, yeah. like it was an exclusive scoop where nothing's really happened. Found it very difficult to care. There was always a, also a very good link into it where, you know, and I love this about the one show, where they try and play with words. It's part of the handbrake turning in a way. It's part of, right, how can we just do a nice little sentence here? And the presenter went, um, well, for the first time, we're going to have L plates on the M roads. Well, that was the news in August of last year, and now the new law is about to come into force. So, for the first time, we're going to have L plates on the M roads. Oh my, uh, who um, calls them M roads? <laughs> <laughs> who? Who go, well, how are you getting around London? I'm going on the M road. No, we, no one says M roads. New. No, no, they do not. Uh, Kiefer, you said you've got an interesting story about not passing your driving license. <laughs> Uh, Matt said, we've not heard it yet, so anything could happen. Well, something did happen, and that was that a bad story was told. But this was part of, I guess, segue link guest tennis, because this, because they got uh, Kiefer, as we were saying, what they had to do was get between him and Elaine Page, who was the other guest, by actively trying to involve them in the films, as they always do, and into the anecdotes. So out of the driving film, you're right, they did Kiefer's anecdote, but then to get to Elaine Page and Evita, that she was talking about the anniversary of, they genuinely said, well, Kiefer, you're... Uh, you're going on tour soon, um, and uh, I hope the driving goes smoothly. More of that shortly. Elaine, <laughs> <laughs> tell us about Evita. You go, whoa, 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 you can't just... That's nothing. There's nothing there. I, I did notice today, this week, this is the first time I've noticed, there are no credits. At the end of the one show? Yeah. There, uh, no, there aren't. No. It just There's no, not even a series editor, can, director. Can I also blow your mind? Yeah. What time does the one show start? It's seven o'clock, isn't it? I mean, I was on it for about four years at one point. For some reason, I had my phone out as we were going on the air. Because if you you were being live on the couch, they'd get you to be the, you know, the... uh yeah. yeah. Usually, what that involves some producer going around the office, going, "Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> so all the researchers were going to stand there, and uh, I had my phone out, and I looked, and I said, "Oh, we're going early." We're going, "No, we're always on at six fifty-eight." 6.58. Does that not do your head That's in? Completely. So do they get an extra two minutes? From no, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a BBC One 7 o'clock. 6.58. Wow. I know. Now I've told you that, you're just... Uh, Here's another thing I can't understand about yeah. the beginning. I don't really think you shed any light on this, oh, because well, this I, has freaked me out answers. since episode one. Why doesn't the music start at the same time as the graphics at the beginning? Why is there like a second of just I, nothing? I, I don't know, because every doesn't... time you think, oh shit, the sound's fucked yeah. up, <laughs> and, and it's gone... Wow! <laughs> that didn't work on radio. It doesn't start. It's no. not synced up, and I don't understand. It's something to do with the six fifty-eight thing. It must be. I can't. There's a moment where everything is silent, and it's not yet seven Mind o'clock, it, and it's you'll now go and watch it and check it against your phone. And go, oh no, it's seven o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's just your phone that's yeah. fucked up. The, the handbrake turn of the week um, for me came out of the Kiefer Sutherland first chat about uh, Elaine Page. They talked to her about Evita. Then off the back of that, it was a case of going, right now. We've got to get back to Kiefer Sutherland somehow. How are we going to do this? I know. Alex went. So do you? 
seeing Don't Cry For Me Argentina, Elaine Page, uh, in the kitchen with a glass of wine. Oh. And Elaine Page just went, no. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then they went, but Keith, you love a glass of whiskey, don't you? And it was like, well, yes. And then they talked about his voice and he said, I need whiskey to do the kind of blues singing that I do. I thought, oh, they're getting this. And then, then they said, well, you don't sound like Elaine Page. You sound like Tina Turner. And they all went, ha, ha, ha. Well, now, to someone who committed themselves to public service until the very end, tonight's panorama will focus on the death of Dame Tessa Jowell. Oh, <laughs> it was a, oh, 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 man. Oh, and it was, it was like... This, this was one of those one shows, it, the guest didn't quite gel, it never sort of picked up, and then you had this really raw piece by Tessa Jowell's daughter, mm. and it was... Absolutely. In any other circumstances, very moving television. And this, it just, it's a difficult thing because of those handbrake turns. And it's, you feel it's sucking the air out of the studio really in every does, single yeah. way. Obviously, she has a story which, which yeah, should yeah. be told and, and she should be given a primetime slot to tell that story. But it's a difficult thing in a show where you're also going, but we've got to get back to Kiefer and we've got to play this video about a BBC presenter learning to speak Gaelic, which for some reason we won't call Gaelic, we'll just call Irish the whole way through. That was a proper handbrake turn. Yeah. Is there a better way of doing it? Well, what was interesting about this, because I, I, maybe I wasn't paying attention and maybe they said this, but then they spoke to Dame Tessa Jow's daughter... But the first thing you noticed was the lighting was all different and they closed the blinds of the window. Yeah. So, you know, you can normally see outside into, yeah, the, yeah. into the courtyard where people, you know, are just sort of staring in to see what happens as they walk past. They'd shut all the blinds, which I didn't know. I'd never seen that before. They'd taken the other guests away as They'd well. They'd taken the other guests away. But it turned out it was a pre-record. It was ah. done oh, much yeah, earlier in the day that. and they just played in because the jar of the lighting changes, you know, they'd actually just made it sombre. Uh, and I don't know... Do you know, an easy way to get between those two is to say, earlier on today, we talked to... Well, you could that, do that, couldn't that's you? That's easier. Yeah. You don't then have to sort of go make it seamless and that's all sort of like high stakes. Yeah. I mean, Look, I'm not pitching for this job. <laughs> the last <laughs> thing I want is to be given the one show, right? But all I'm saying is I think I could make some very positive changes. <laughs> we haven't talked about the embarrassing dads item, have we? This was the little... This was the, a, with the uh, revelation of the my dad's a racist... <laughs> Yeah, go on, do tell. <laughs> well, it was, you know, people saying, what, what's the embarrassing thing your dad's done? Fart in the Liverpool Street Station. And, like, and then there's this woman who says, my dad always goes into ship shop and says to people, where are you from? No, where are you really from? And I tell him it's embarrassing, but he's still, he, he's constantly asking, which country did he come from? When my dad used to go in ship shops, he always used to say, like, where did you originate from? And people were like, well, I come from England. And he went, oh, yes, but actually... Where, where'd you come from, though? They did go into full stories and everything, but I had to have words with him, but he still doesn't see anything wrong with it. Oh. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. It's... You need a producer as well with a strong I'm... hand, is all I'm saying, to sort of say, let's drop that one. Yeah, but no, yeah, there was actually no particular, unless I missed it, unless I'd actually started to zone out, <laughs> head into a coma, I couldn't work out what this film was doing there. Why no, was it? Uh, no, no. Was uh, it, I, I thought it was probably one of the ones you were talking about. Like it had sort of been left behind from somewhere else, and they just—it was the right length or something. There was a classic one of those, I think, on the Wednesday show, which was whatever the car. Everyone has a story, and it went into a piece where three people with different cars had no stories about their cars, and it was just a, a chap saying, "Here's my Mark One Ford Capri. I pulled some birds in that." <laughs> my name's Kevin Folds, and this is my 1973 Ford Capri. I first fell in love with this car in 1969 when I saw the TV commercials for it. Powerful as a sports car. The car you always promised yourself. And this was the car I always promised myself. 
all the cars prior to the Capri had been family man orientated, whereas the Capri was a car aimed at the younger man. If you had one of these, you would attract the opposite sex. Certainly, the car did seem to work the magic. <laughs> Yeah. That was it. I, I couldn't understand whether it's because whether it's, it's coming up to summer and they've got through a load and everyone's out filming. No, that happens prior to April the 5th. So when they, they've got to clear the budget, that's Tax when they, they'll, be, they'll be clearing them in March. That's when they're really scraping this, the bottom of the This doesn't necessarily speak for the quality of the films that are coming up over the next year. Plus, uh, <laughs> We're only at June there's... and we've done Tell Me About a Car. <laughs> and there are some. I mean, there, there are some that take four days. Most of them are a day shoot, Yeah, mm. those films. I've also noticed that... they, they tend to group them by region, don't they? Because you think, oh, they've obviously had a film crew in Belfast, because this week we've got two Belfast Oh, no, crew. it doesn't work like that at all. Oh, OK. OK, so here's how it works. They, they're grouped by theme. So down in um, Cardiff is where all the food films came from. Right. And we would go literally everywhere to make all the food films. All the science films come out of Manchester. Um, Northern Ireland has some weird remit. It's different areas. Okay. They may well have had two films out of Belfast, for example, but they'll have been shot by entirely different crews from entirely different parts of the country. Almost certainly not by people from Northern Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I was flown, yeah, I was flown to Northern Ireland repeatedly to make films. Yeah. And then you've got a unit inside the office which does things like my dad's a racist <laughs> um, which is actually quite a good idea for <laughs> we're both pitching for this <laughs> job yeah. and they, they make stuff on the day the stuff which looks really really quick yeah well um, oh, well, there was a bit with this I This was weird talking of Giles Brandreth films Giles Brandreth and June Whitfield did you see this no so there was a, and again I don't know why it was there maybe I dozed off or something but there was a it's hard to describe so Giles Brandreth try we're, we're all okay. friends here well, it was, yeah well yeah. I tell you it was another handbrake turn. So they came out of Lost Voice Guy. They had Lost Voice Guy, who won Britain's Got Talent, didn't he, this week, yeah. uh, on the sofa. Obviously, they were interviewing him, and he was using his iPod thing uh, to speak and everything else. And, and, and that was all fine, because the, the pre-prepared answers. And you know it's not... The, the questions have to be agreed in advance, because he's got to type them into the thing. So that's all fine. Anyway, they showed a clip of him wearing a T-shirt saying... One of his trademark T-shirts saying something like... It was about disabled ramps, so I can't remember exactly what he said. But anyway, it was about ramps. And they talked about disabilities and, and, and access and all the rest of it. And then they came off the back of it was... Um, uh, th- thanks very much. Lost voice guy. Now time for another trip up the stairway to heaven <laughs> with Giles Brandreth. And you go, whoa, 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 you've just been talking about ramps. Are you, is this, are you, really? Then it was Giles Brandreth with wings on, angel's wings, standing in, in sort of a CGI cloud sort of background, uh, looking down on earth, <laughs> looking up from earth, i.e. the local film unit outside Broadcasting mm-hmm. House, was June Whitfield. Just looking up, uh, 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 clearly a shot at a different time, Giles Brandreth, pretending to talk to the angel... Uh, this sounds like the what was his item about? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it was an interview with Jim Whitfield as though she were dead. Is this, is this not? The premise was, you've died. What did you like now, when you were alive? Now, Jim Whitfield is getting on a bit. We've all been interested to know what it would be like to have a near-death experience yeah. if we were the actress, June Whitfield. <laughs> well, here's Giles to show us what it would be like. It's time for another trip up the stairway to heaven with the ever-angelic Giles Brandreth. Welcome to heaven. Or at least a version of it we're all familiar with. If it even exists, that is. But if it does exist, have you ever wondered what you'll do when you get here? Who would you like to meet in heaven? And what would you miss most about planet Earth? Today, I'm meeting a star of stage and screen who's been delighting us all on Earth for more than 70 years. Yes, there she is. Hello, Giles. 
It's June Whitfield. Hello, June. Are you coming down to Earth? I'm coming down to see you now. It was an interview with her about partly filmed on the stage. Is this part of a series of interviews with people near death about what? It was a bit of an interview with her on the stage of the radio theatre in Broadcasting House. And then they went up to the roof, uh, literally up the stairway to heaven. We're closer to heaven now, he said. (laughs) (laughs) And he he said, what was your favourite food on earth? And he goes, she's not dead. I don't understand what's going on. And then cut back to the studio after it all finished. And even Matt Maker looked surprised. And he just went, uh, just to be clear, June is still very much with us. (laughs) What? What? Giles Brandreth's segment called Angel of Death where he talks to Touches people people on the shoulder yeah. and they die now, obviously, that explains a lot you, yeah. Yeah. well we've been to heaven and the good news is you don't have to stay here you can go back to earth by a lift Dame June Whitfield it's been absolute heaven and now back to earth uh, just to say that June is still very much with us, and we're going to end on a cheery note. Presume, Jay, they don't watch. They don't know what's in the VTs before. Do they sit and watch them they're when they're to. on, or do they just chat? No, they, no. There's no time to watch when you're live because there is a lot of stuff being shifted yeah. around, and there's keys coming in, keys coming out. Plus, everybody talks, so they're meant to have watched those VTs before. Yeah, during the day, <laughs> clearly not. But it's clear that quite often they haven't, or in, <laughs> I mean, not exactly paid you... that much attention to them. Talking of watching, I mean, did you over the course of the period of doing it, did lots of people recognise you in the street from the work that you did for the one show? Is it a thing that's watched across the country? So, um, <laughs> there was a time. I mean, it's kind of curious, and I can't explain it. There was a time. I remember standing on the station in Doncaster, crowded station, and. Everybody pulled away from me like I was some lion on the Serengeti and they were all zebras. And that was very weird. Mostly people look at me and go, you're him. But actually, it's and you used to get a lot of reaction. If I'm totally honest, when, when that Bog Butter film turned up, not a single tweet. Right. Um, <laughs> right. At which point I thought, it's time. Uh, yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares about this man's butter buried in a bog. <laughs> Apart from this podcast. Apart from this podcast. <laughs> and, 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 and thus this that, magic has yeah, happened. The dorsal fin breaks <laughs> you know, Ironically, the, the one show only talked about it once. I think we've mentioned it four weeks running. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> it was a highlight. Yeah. Really and, and just quickly, I mean, who in your time when you worked there, is there anyone who was making films that you just thought, they are great? What, presenters? Right? Yeah. Actually, my, I mean, none of them are actually utterly crap and and you are pretty much at the mercies of the uh, of the producer who's written the script you know matt Allwright can pretty much make television on anything even yeah. if, even oh, if yeah. he's baffled as to why he's done it it's going to be really really serviceable television mm. um lucy siegel when she does her eco environmental stuff yeah is cracking a couple you know the, you know they they all seem to be able to do it. it just depends on what the bloody story is on the day and we all come back sometimes baffled not knowing what we've made a film about <laughs> matt all right had to do on this week on on um nordic walking Really? Yeah, he he was talking about GDPR, you know, a good two weeks after everyone else had been. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was doing this film. Again, it was probably just left over. And he was talking about small businesses who are actually being very inconvenienced by the GDPR thing because they're mailing lists. People, you know, the Nordic Walking Company, for instance, has people doing Nordic walking <laughs> somewhere. And they had a mailing list of a couple of thousand people, but no one replied to their email. So now they've got 90 or something. And, and thus, they're, you know, their profits have just dropped off because well, they can't a- tell people what's going on and where they're meeting in a car park to go Nordic walking. Oh. So it's affecting small business. So actually, and I, I, think you, I think you film. want, 
Matt Allwright sort of do a face. Uh, he did do a face, yeah. yeah. He, did, he did his Matt Allwright yeah. hangdog. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> you asked me how ridiculous it was. I once did a film where I had to go ballroom dancing in Surbiton, and I still can't remember what it was about. <laughs> it was an on the day. It was made by the unit in-house, and I had to go ballroom dancing. Uh, well, how much notice did you get? I mean, did they got so a you, roster of presenters, and they're going, right, who's good for this one? Yeah, you would mostly get booked in advance. So when I was at the, at the peak of it, there was a film every Friday night, and you had to have one in every Friday night. I was running 10 days ahead. So right. you'd shoot, let's say, on a Wednesday, and it would go out the Friday week. And then when we, when we toned it down a bit, because frankly, I, could, I was losing the will to live, and it was you know down to 20 or 25 a year, then it could be months. Yeah. Sometimes months, sometimes weeks. And then every now and then, and this was the stuff I most enjoyed, was when they said, we need to make something today. And you go and fill something on the day, and it would go out, you know, broadcast news styly with people throwing. No, they weren't throwing tapes down the <laughs> office. But um, yeah, it, you know, it could be a, an entire mixture. And you never knew exactly where it was going to be. And the thing, the point you were making about, oh, they've got a crew there, that's why they're making two films. Yeah. It would be bizarre because the Cardiff crew would take you to the, the wilds of Scotland. You think, why don't you get a crew that's in Glasgow? <laughs> yeah, also, they, the, from when I started, when we started, this is a classic story of broadcast media now, when you started, it was a sound recordist, it was a camera person, it was a runner, it was a producer, director, and by the end it was me and one other person. Yeah, yeah I think that's noticeable, you, you can see that. If you were putting together a DVD of the best documentary clips of the one show, that you took each film, and it's been going for a long time now, that is a DVD you could easily fill with some really top quality work. I can't imagine it would have anything from the last three years, and that's just because TV budgets have been slashed. Yeah. So you don't get that sort of beautiful setup. It's routine now that you just have to crack through, get it done, and get it back. There was a good film, uh, there genuinely was uh, this week as well, on the history of children's playgrounds, mm. which... I've got kids, so I often visit children's playgrounds. They they love them, but I've never. And I've, you always see the same name, Wicksteed, on okay. the manufacture. On the the name is on the equipment. It's like Kettering. It is in Kettering. Wicksteed Park <laughs> is in Kettering, and I grew up in the Midlands. So the local mm. TV ad when I was a kid, one of the locals was for Wicksteed Park in Kettering. It used to come up on local radio and on local TV and stuff. And Charles Wicksteed invented. He was an engineer. And this is what I learned. Who decided that what they what children needed wasn't just sort of grass to play on, but things to do. Mm. So he turned his engineer eye to things people could do in a park so he invented swings and roundabouts and seesaws and weirdly the log flume and witches hats and witches hats exactly yes I only know this because we did an item on Wicksteed on the kitchen cabinet which just shows everything gets around we did it first obviously because he made a machine uh, that was capable of making a thousand tuna sandwiches in an hour we didn't put that in a playground. Yeah, no, he didn't. Why no, is this man not on the money? Yeah. This is he's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. But he, he, he invented the swing. He invented the swing oh, in the playground. And, and the, but he also, he invented the swing you put 20 children on. The health and safety was fucked. I mean, they, and then they recreated but the first still slide. a thing. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, still yeah, manufacture yeah. the playground equipment. Exactly. He invented the first slide, which was just made of wood. And basically, it was just putting splinters in kids' arses. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, re, they rebuilt it. And the woman presented from the one show had to go on it. And she's like, but she's like, oh, so I'd have a and she literally just sat on it and got off. I mean, it was not, it was not sliding. It's hard to imagine a park without a playground, isn't it? But all this would look quite different if it hadn't been for one man, the pioneer of the playground, who changed the lives of millions of children. In 1918, Charles Wicksteed created the first playground as we know it today, here in Kettering. 
But it was a good, you know, it was a good example. And I was thinking in my head, uh, I, I was thinking it, I was thinking it, I was thinking it. They came out of the film, and Matt Baker just said that was a classic one-show film. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. in that it was sort of pointless but utterly absorbing. Do you know what's crazy is now I'm thinking I'd actually quite like to see that, and that's the first time we're doing this for two months now. And, and, and you're time. not going to go and try and find the well, film. It was, it's the first time that someone's actually mentioned one, and I thought I wouldn't mind seeing that. Yeah, I mean, if it was go. on anything else, if someone had said that was on BBC Four as a five-minute thing, I'd have gone, oh well, absolutely essential. I must see it. It, it sounds great. I mean, it wasn't a classic one-show film in the sense that it was genuinely engaging. So, <laughs> well, you know, bless them, they try. Yeah. Um, we also like to ask, of course, given the nature of these sort of podcasts that analyse programmes, in the spirit of Walking Dead, really, what cast member you'd like to see, presenter or guest, mm. um, die and how? Uh, in a sort of discussion of... Um... Oh, so guests as well? Oh, you can include guests, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, the, do you know, the depressing one, the one that actually... I'm, I'm not going to wish her dead because she is. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to feel terrible now. Victoria Wood sucked the air out of the room. That was, what? Yeah. She was really furious when she came in. And she was just livid. And just, if you ever can find that one, she just hated me. Um, and the other one was Andy Circus. Uh, Early on, I had this thing with Jay's Food of the Week, so I'd have to get something. And, and I offered him some chorizo, and he went, I'm vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think a researcher might have? Well, and, and actually, at that point, I then had to go and do my own research each week. I'd go, so, any dietary requirements will be, because uh, nobody else would do it. Um, Imagine if, it, you know, you'd served him some peanuts, he had a peanut allergy, he died right there. You want to kind of watch that. Yeah. Um, Why was Victoria Wood angry with you? I don't know. She was oh. just livid. She was livid from the beginning of the programme to the end. She was just seething at everything. I think, if I re- remember rightly, she just had a musical of Acorn Antiques open. Yeah. yeah. And it was tanking. Mm. And she was there to PR it. Yeah. And she and just wasn't happy. Yeah. Didn't want to be. And I made some crack about Lancashire cheese and how I didn't really like it. I don't care. <laughs> oh, it's, um, it's worth putting on record Lancashire's cheese is appalling that, <laughs> so I, I still haven't actually offed anybody have I I've never met him but I, I kind of harbour the fantasy that Alex Riley would be caught in some kind of whimsical slightly sardonic accident <laughs> a, a, a kind of absolute excessive sardonic sarcastic ironic thing would happen to him so he gets ho- hoisted by his own petard yeah, hoisted right and, and it just, just cuts him in two of, <laughs> yes surfeit of irony and knowing kind of quirkiness and Tommy Steele he's basically he's dead he's, he's basically dead. the Timmy Mallet of the 21st century Alex Riley <laughs> I, I, if I was going to have one person who this week yep. I, I, I think should die in a creative way, it, it would actually, unusually, it would be Matt Baker. But it was only because on Wednesday's show, they came back after this VT about a, a couple of BBC journalists who were getting married, and one of them was learning to speak Gaelic for the wedding. Of Irish. And uh, it was quite clever because by doing that five-minute VT, the wedding becomes tax-deductible. Very clever. Very. But it came back, and Matt turned to Alex, and this was not a joke, this was entirely serious. He turned to her, and he said... I should say, I'm so impressed. You know, you see people with these dual languages. He said, I'm so impressed, Alex, by the way you speak English, because it's not your first language. Well, congratulations to Connor and Polly. And as a Welsh speaker, it's really interesting to see how they're trying to preserve the Gaelic language, you know, and and how they chose to use it in their ceremony. You do really well, considering that English is your second language. Oh, thanks, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) You must be pretty 
<laughs> no, seriously, I am. I'm very impressed by it. I am. Uh, right, we've talked about your music. <laughs> it, sounded, it sounded like a joke, but he was really like, I am going to make Alex feel great about herself. She did not feel great about herself. <laughs> she was really upset. In fairness, I think the other thing is, Alex is English. She needs to work on the accent a bit. Right? <laughs> it's like when you see people in France and they're going, un baguette, s'il vous plaît. A little bit of effort, Alex. Come on. So I think that I'd like, um, I probably think that Matt should, should choke on a leak. There was, uh, speaking of language, just very quickly, there was another point where they asked somebody about languages they speak. Oh, I can't remember who it was. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But they said French. And Alex just went, oh, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, what was that? <laughs> Talking to them in their native, what are you doing? I had no idea you were fluent. <laughs> we should come to any other business. Uh, so this is anything, you know, certainly for you, Jay, tales of the one show that you we may not have addressed yet, certainly. But I was just going to bring in, because I mentioned it at the beginning, there was a point at, I guess, near the end of the episode with Kiefer Sutherland and Elaine Page, where Kiefer Sutherland lifted one of his feet onto the plastic table the perspex table they have in the studio oh you don't want to do that uh and he was and the reason he'd done it was because matt i think had pointed out that his boots were a bit tatty tatty is the word and they were but they were his lucky boots or whatever they're his lucky rock singer style boots and there was a, there's a hole in the boot right and elaine the unedifying image of elaine page leaning forward and just putting her finger in the hole <laughs> in keepers on the and just fingering around it well he had to sit there accepting that this was happening and it was just only on the one show would i watch elaine page fingering a bit of keepers on just marvelous uh, i have to direct you this is one thing which will we're going back into the to the vault mm. it's something very special you may remember that chris evans presented on friday nights for a mm. long while he yes did, yeah. he did yes now when he joined he had this thing in his head i I learned a lot from Chris. He was big on content. He would rip the scripts apart every Friday night. It was, it was cool. But he had this thing in his head that they had to be YouTubeable events. And so the first one, uh, the first Friday night, we did a film about um, fish and chips. So he got them to make an enormous bath of uh, batter, which was, in fact, cornflour. With, you know, it's that non-Newtonian liquid. That if you hit it, it's solid. And yes. If you hit it, it's soft. And then got Matt Smith and Karen Gillan to run across it. Right, now, we've got to get changed because we're going to walk across some batter, apparently. We are, apparently. Here's the batter downstairs. To and prove Jay it's real. And proven it by battering a fish. OK. <laughs> Now, apparently, batter, the more force you apply to the batter, the more resistance it becomes, meaning that we can actually walk, even run over it at the end of the show today. Right, OK. OK. Good luck. Oh, right, now, it's time to see if the production team are having us on or if this <laughs> batter mix will really resist our weight as we run across it. It's Let's real batter. Let's hope. Let's hope. OK. Matt, you're a doctor. Uh, tell us what's going on. OK, Chris, it's really very simple. We have over 1,000 litres of cornflour batter, or to give it its fancy name, non-Newtonian fluid. That's 1,000 litres of water. Well, there we are, with one tonne of cornflour mixed into it. So, this stuff is so special because its viscosity, it's a funny word, isn't it, is variable based on applied stress. <laughs> so when I slide my hand into it slowly like this, oh, it feels really weird. It acts like a liquid. Whoa, look at that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, have you anything to add to that, Gillen? In fact, I do, Matt. Um, so, basically, if I strike this with force, the atoms sort of rearrange themselves so it acts as a solid. I'm going to demonstrate with this baseball bat. Ready? Shall I stand up? Karen, we get it. I will run over the viscosity thing. Oh, no! <laughs> 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 So the next week, 
He's got he's got a great plan, and it's basically you know if you put one of those soft mints with the hard what are they called Mentos Mentos in a bottle of Coke oh yeah it explodes out yeah so he came up with this idea to do a giant version of this <laughs> and he is the best <laughs> because he was new to the show and he was on big wedge and they would do anything for Chris they built a nine foot vat. <laughs> And then they got a jumpsuit and got stitched onto it a thousand mentos. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You've got to look this up. <laughs> and then they had an army of researchers emptying. You can't get Coke on draft. The only way they could fill this thing was by getting bottles <laughs> of Coke. And all through the afternoon, so you turn up for the show, sometimes as early as two o'clock if it was a big one, uh, and these poor fuckers were pouring Coke in. Uh, how much a bottle as well? <laughs> I mean, honestly, they had crates of this stuff, yeah. and it was being poured in and poured in. Now, what's the big problem if you're pouring it in from Coke? For four hours, it goes utterly flat. Yeah. They then have a crane, and this is the finale for the whole show. They then have a crane, and Chris Evans is put on the crane and hoisted into the air with a mask and snorkel, and then is lowered into the vat of Coke, where nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. I mean, honestly, it's, it's worth looking this up. It was the, I mean, that's basically a suicide vest. If, if it had been physically, Chris Evans would have exploded. Nothing. Nothing. Oh. And it's cost thousands and oh. thousands of pounds of that license. That is so good. If that had worked, we'd all have been talking about it for two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they should be doing. You know? I mean, that was, that was his idea. Was that they should, he, he did a couple of others that worked. But after that, I think they slightly pulled the horns in and decided... Trying to be interesting. It's not what the one show's about. <laughs> well, you know, we're not going to top that. Jay, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Here. Jay Rayner, what a... I, I think that you have to understand that I'm on this so that I can never be on the show ever again. This is basically your because, resignation. Because you letter. can't, yeah, you can't leave. So uh, basically, you join, you don't get a contract, you just do as many films as that, and it sort of dribbled off with me as I went off and did the radio thing and yeah. got bored of standing in rutty, mudded fields. <laughs> And eventually, when I did butter. that last one, the bog butter, yeah. I phoned up the deputy editor and said, I know you can't leave, but why don't you just remove me from the one show family? <laughs> Nobody so, leaves the, the family. family. <laughs> and so, I have actually, if you go on, I'm no longer officially on that board, which means I'm out. And um, it makes after you part this, of, I'll never be back on it. It makes you mm. part of the, the, the one show show. The, the, the one now, show show, so. the, the, yeah, yeah, which is smaller and huddling together for warmth. Yes, it is. Around yeah. one oh. candle. Thank you. <laughs> For your, no, thank you for coming on uh, and doing that and I'm pleased to have been part of your resignation letter I think that's awesome. Mark thank you very much as well a pleasure uh, and um, uh, we'll be back next week and remember when you look at the television to look at the one show the one show also looks back into you goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.